0: I'll wait until you get there, and then we will start the word of prayer. And by the way, just a side note, I'd encourage you, even though we we have this set up for the kids, may this also be in our own hearts and our minds to prepare ourselves, because Easter is going to be here before we know it. And then may we not miss what God is... Teaching us that here. Um, the whole book of John, there's several ma- massive passages of scripture on the last week leading up to the crucifixion. So may you, in your own spiritual journey that you're walking alongside with God, also making sure you're reading and understanding why the Easter is so important. So let me pray. Dearly Father, help us now as we walk through this passage. As we look at other passages as well, Dearly Father, help us to get a clear understanding of your rule in this world. I thank you for the things you have taught us already. And even as we, even to my right here, we see the impact of sin in this world. Help us to truly grasp our great need of a Savior and your beautiful redemptive plan offered so freely. In your Son's name we pray, amen. As I was thinking about this sermon, and as I was pondering through it, there was a song that kept going around and around in my head. Uh, It's interesting, I looked up who sings this, and when I read it, I was like, that can't be right because this musical group sounds to me more like a group of boys in the nursery. Uh, the group, this song is, is sung by a group called the Soggy Bottom Boys. And um, the song goes like this. A man of constant sorrows, I've seen trouble all my days. I've been farewell to old Kentucky, the place where I was born and raised. For six long years I've been in trouble. No pleasure on earth I find. For in this world I'm bound to ramble. I have no friends to help me now. And the song goes on and on and on, just talking about this man of constant sorrow. It was interesting because last week we looked at God's rule in this world. We looked at He was the creator, the sustainer of all things. And as He, the creator and sustainer of all things, we learned then God rules over even evil. And we learned that God's rule over evil is to bring all things to His glorious end. Also, last week we looked at evil cannot overthrow God's plan. The reason why evil can never overthrow God's plan is because evil is not a thing. Actually, evil is a lack of goodness. But we also learn, too, that evil exists because we live in a sinful world. Today, we're going to learn that suffering exists because we live in a sinful world. So if you want to put it together, evil and suffering exist because we live in a sinful world. But just like last week, we saw God ruling over evil, we're going to see this week God is going to not only just rule over suffering, but my prayer is that by the time we get done, that you're going to see that God actually has a purpose for suffering in our lives. So as again, we're part two on evil and suffering. Um, just like last week, we talked about the two different ditches that we don't want to fall into. There are two different ditches, even too, with the idea of suffering. And ditch number one, we'll just make it the left side here. The ditch we do not want to fall into is that suffering... Is evil and only bad and sinners suffer. So, Ditch over here would say that suffering is evil and only those people that are really bad and those people that are really sinners, they suffer. That the only reason that you're suffering is because somehow you didn't obey God and if you were more obedient, you would not have any suffering. Um, this is a mindset that if we're not careful, we can all sort of slowly adapt. It was the same thing, too, and I adapted this in my own life, this concept of bad things happen to bad people and good things happen to good people, right? This is the, this is the ditch over here that falls into that, is because even before, so I went to a Christian school and I was on a soccer team and our, our thoughts were that if we all had our devotions that morning before the soccer game, God's favor would shine on us and we had to win, right? Because only bad things happen to bad people, so if we were good that day, what would happen to us? good things. And that actually, we might say, well, wait a minute, what, what does that sound like? And I would go, you know what that sounds like? Literally, it's the lie of health, wealth, and prosperity gospel that tells you that only good things happen to good people. And if you're suffering anyway, it must be a result of because you're just a bad person. It's interesting. This is one of the lies that Job's friends told him as well. So that's the ditch we do not want to fall into. Because the moment that suffering comes into your life, we don't just want to run to, if only I was more obedient, God would be Shining his grace upon the ditch on the other side over here is where that now suffering because we live in a world where suffering. I'm literally defined by that and So whatever suffering that comes into my life not only defines me But it actually becomes my identity and before you know it when I introduce myself to people I introduce you as I am whatever my name is and here's all my suffering as if it's a badge of honor to wear and then, if you don't see other people suffering as much as you're suffering, something must be wrong with them, or you want to live in a constant state of suffering because somehow your identity is wrapped up in that. And where this would play out, I'll just give you your own personal example in my own lives. I have, the Yorgi family is notorious for diabetes, but we do not come into a room and say, Hi, my name is Tim Yorgi. We have a long history of people struggling with diabetes. Because you would go, but that's not, that doesn't define me. What defines me is that I am a child of the King of kings and Lord of lords. Not by any type of weird amount of suffering you have. I mean, it's like almost a little bit, let's be honest, get over yourself because your suffering is actually used by God for His glory, not to make a name of yourself. Because in the end of it, your suffering, when you share the story of your life, your suffering is not one pointing back to you, it's pointing to what God is doing in your life through this because we are not identified by our suffering. We're identified by who we are in Christ, but it can be a burden. We can fall into that ditch so quickly, and we can also fall in the ditch, too, that the only reason I have these sorrows in my life is because I must have sinned, and good things happen to good people, and bad things happen to bad people, so I must be bad, and so we're going to try to walk this line without falling into either ditch along the way. So again, I want to state at the very beginning, God is the ruler, sustainer, and creator of this world. That is clear from Genesis 1 all the way through Scripture. And we start there. We do not start with suffering and then try to prove God's existence. We start with what the Bible starts with, that God is the ruler, sustainer, and creator of this world. Here's what the Bible is also going to teach by the time we're done. I believe, I hope you believe this. That God rules over suffering and is using it for our good and His glory. That God rules over it and is actually doing something in the middle of suffering. I ask you to turn to Romans chapter 5 and we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. And looking at this passage and then two other passages on the topic of suffering. And again, I want to make sure we pause. We've been going through the book of Genesis, and as we've been going through the book of Genesis, you're going to find out that people are suffering, and that there's evil in the world. That's why we're pausing and stopping about how do we handle these things. I mean, because we're going to run into this real quick next week. We're going to be talking about genealogies. And one thing that genealogies teaches us, that this guy lived and that this guy died. And then another guy lived and another guy died. And they all went through suffering and death. That's, what, that's the wonderful part about genealogies. It's a real, real thriller, all right? Because guess what's going to happen to you? You will be taxed, all right? And what's the other thing that's going to happen to you? All right, You will die of those taxes as well. But those things are in front of us. So let's look here, Romans chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. More than that, we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame, because God's love has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit, who has been given to us. We're going to see here real quick, especially if we look at verse 3 it says more than that we rejoice in our suffering and you go why in the world would anyone rejoice in their suffering well the text is going to tell us why we rejoice in suffering those of us who know Christ is because suffering is actually producing something this is not pointless suffering there's a suffering that takes place that it actually brings about a product now we don't rejoice in suffering in some type of way that you know just it's almost a sadistic way But one of the reasons, again, why we are called to rejoice in suffering is because we need what this suffering produces. You need it. You need what the biblical answer to suffering is. And so let's walk through the text here. All right, so suffering produces endurance. Another way of saying that suffering produces patience. That word patience and endurance is the same idea. And then that endurance and patience produces character. And then character produces hope. You see that? So if you draw the line, suffering in the end produces what? Hope. And you may say, whoa, 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 Tim, hold on a minute. Suffering, I mean, even the opening song we sang, where we listened to and I've read, suffering seems to produce impatience and giving up. I mean, I don't know about what type of suffering you get, Tim, but when I start hearing suffering, what does it start to produce? It starts to produce, what's the point of it all, or give up? But what I would say, and when suffering is given to us by God and properly understood for the believer, God is actually going to produce an endurance in our life. Because, yes, when we feel like giving up, that's exactly what I would argue God is using suffering for. Because we feel like giving up. Interesting, Elizabeth Elliot, who had her share of suffering in this world, said this, Just start thanking God in advance, because no matter what is about to happen, you already know that God is in charge. You are not adrift in a sea of chaos. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians. We'll come back to Romans 5, but keep a finger in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I think Paul here, as he's speaking, gives us an example about how suffering produces patience and endurance and character. Verse 8, 2 Corinthians 1 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the afflictions we experience in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired to life itself. You're going to go, wait a minute. The Apostle Paul had some suffering. What did he sound like he's about ready to do? Give up. Right? He's like, we got to the point where we were going, there is no point in living. We despaired down to life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. Again. But notice this. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but God who raises Even if you think you're going to die, there's one who's even powerful than death, God himself. So all of this suffering that was taking place was producing this type of endurance and character that says, yeah, you can't do this anymore. You're right, you can't. And that's exactly where God wants you because then you stop relying on self and you rely on God. It's interesting because suffering shakes the heart. It literally brings you to the end of yourself. It brings, and when in that shaking of the heart, it brings how self-reliant we truly really are and how much we trust in self. That's one of the ideas that has been from the garden all the way through pride, that we trust our own understanding other than God. That's what Adam and Eve listened to in the garden. We've got this God, we don't need you. And God brings in suffering to show them, yes, you desperately need me. This is why as suffering shakes the heart and brings to the surface self-reliance, that's how the Spirit of God comes and deals as a woo, as a salve into our lives, producing that hope. Because as our self-reliance is shaken, as we, as we are shaken to the core, because in suffering, the reason why the suffering is happening is because you can't fix it. And the suffering comes in, because if you could fix it, the suffering would stop. But the suffering comes into our lives to show us our absolute necessary dependence on God and God alone. Because as the suffering comes in, it produces endurance, which produces character, which produces hope. And we say, hope in what? Well, the answer is this, hope in God. Suffering brings us to the end of ourselves and exposes where our hope is found. Suffering brings us to the end of ourselves and exposes where our hope is found. There's only two places where your hope can rest, either in self or God. And what it is in self, you're really good at playing that game of self-reliance. And guess what you're going to find? The more you rely on self, the more you will see how weak your hand really is. I'll share with you a story where this has worked its way into my life. So one of the things that, when I use the word pride myself on, I'm using that in all of the negative terms, all right, that I can get it done. No matter what, Tim will plow ahead and get it done. Uh, That's not a good thing to do. Because it's pretty, that's really like self-reliance to the teeth, right? When the going gets tough, just drop your shoulder and plow harder. And as a pastor, it's really easy to go to people's beds in the hospital, sit down next to them, share with them all the truths of Scripture you're supposed to share with them, and basically walk away and say, I wish they believed them more, right? Until one day... God puts you in that hospital bed. And then you're sitting there and, you know, as I joked with Charlie, you're supposed to be in the bed, not me, right? And you're sitting there and all of a sudden the doctor comes in and I've signed some of these papers as witnesses to like whatever procedure is going to be in there because I've been in the hospital when these happen. The doctor comes in and goes, hey, we're just going to do a minor procedure, but real quick, sign this just in case if you die. All right, you know the bedside manner of, of doctors, and all of a sudden, you're laying there, and you're signing the paper for you. And it's easy to tell everybody else, stop relying on yourself, rely on God. And all of a sudden, you're sitting there going, yeah, just in case we prick your heart and you die, you know, and you're like, wait a minute, he's talking about this guy. And so when I sat there, I started going, boy, it is so easy to rely on self. And then your mind you're going, I hope the doctors have done this before, you know, and everything else. Instead of going, is your hope in Christ or is your hope in self? Because suffering likes to expose our hearts. And this is what God does. And so no matter what the agent of our suffering whether it's because we live in a sinful world or because of sinful choices we make, we know that God is using that suffering for His glory and to cause us to stop relying on self. Because all suffering exposes what you truly believe. All suffering exposes what you truly believe, what you truly rely on, and where your hope is. And when those moments come, you get the moment to go, wait a minute, where is my hope? Is it in Him or in self? Because here's something that is true. As you look through the Bible, no redemptive work of God is ever accomplished without suffering. No redemptive work of God is ever accomplished without suffering because what suffering does is it draws us away from self to Him. Is that not the gospel truth? The gospel says you are a sinner. You cannot rely on yourself. You must rely on Him and Him alone. And so we suffer and wrestle through it where He brings us to the end of ourselves where what does the gospel call out that the sinner calls? Help, I cannot do this on my own. And through this world of suffering is what God uses to strip us of self and to draw us to Him and Him alone. That is why at the end of the day, Paul can write, more than that, we rejoice in our suffering because we know that our suffering is not pointless. It is working out what we need most as our hope in Christ and Christ alone. Now, another point of suffering. Go to 2 Corinthians again. We're going to be here for a while. 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Point number 2 is suffering is going to produce a proper view of life. In 2 Corinthians 4, 16 through 17... We're going to see that suffering produces a proper view of life because I'm going to say that suffering, what it does is it gives us clarity. So let me read the text and then we'll break down what it says. 2 Corinthians 4, 16 and 17. So we do not lose heart, which means what are you going to struggle with? You're going to want to do what? Lose heart, right? So Paul's saying, don't lose heart, guys. Though our outward nature is wasting away, our inward nature is being renewed day by day. For these slight momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So again, let's just walk through the test. Don't lose heart. Because if you look at your outward nature, what are you going to find? All of you this morning, when you looked at yourself in the mirror, if you did you're going to find that you're, you are wasting away because we live in a sinful world, all right? You did not look the same you looked yesterday, and you're not going to look and so forth, all right? You are wasting away because we live in a sinful world filled with suffering and evil. But interesting, he says, even though our outward nature is wasting away, our inward nature is becoming more like Christ. The outward is going to be filled with disease The outward can be filled with cancer. The outward can be filled with all of that, but that's all passing away. What is being done inside through this suffering that God has brought into your life is the part that really matters. It's interesting here, though, where Paul says, your outward nature is wasting your way, but your inward nature is being renewed by God daily. And when you understand that inward nature is being renewed as the suffering of this world, as the evil we live in chips away at our literal physical bodies, that what that's doing is it's renewing us inside. So we can say like Paul says in verse 17, for these light momentary afflictions. Now I want to pause for a moment. Anyone that is going through in the middle of suffering, it will not feel light and it will not feel momentary. It will feel like it is taking forever. It will not feel light. It will feel heavy. Because that's the point of suffering, to feel heavy. So you stop relying on self. If you could say, hey, I got this suffering, I don't need it, I don't need you, God, then that's not the point of suffering. The point of suffering is to bring you to the end of yourself, looking to God and God alone. So you're able to see in eternity the perspective of all these things. Because when we start seeing things in eternity, we start to see things the way God has literally set them up to be. These are light, momentary things that we're living through. The world says this is but a vapor. But what you do now matters for all of eternity. But when we view it in light of suffering, we are going to see these things to be light and momentary. Now, I want to be we sort of clear on this. This is not the natural response to suffering. The natural response to suffering is, Lord, get me out of this as quickly as you can. Get me over with this. I don't want to deal with this suffering. I want it to be done. I don't like it. And so we cry out in our hearts in that way. But we have to understand this. Our continual battle between the natural way of thinking versus the biblical way of thinking. Saying in 2 Corinthians there, let's just go over to chapter 12, verse 9. Because when we see the afflictions in our lives, we're going to say, Lord, get rid of them. I want them gone. These don't seem like light momentary things. We are suffering here. 2 Corinthians 12 says this, verse 9. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. The power of God is literally made perfect in weakness. Therefore, he says, I will boast all more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. What is the weakness? These are the sufferings that God brings into our lives that cause us to be weak. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamity. For when I am weak, then I am strong. What is Paul saying here is this. This is the way God sets up this world. Through our weakness is what strengthens us. Through our weakness when we say we can't do it. And only through those moments there is when we run to Him and run to Him alone and in our weaknesses where we see His true strength. Now we're going to take a moment here. Uh, We're going to run down a rabbit trail. And the reason why it's okay to run down this rabbit trail is because we literally saw the rabbit run into the thicket. And so now it's okay to chase this rabbit. This is not a trail that's just been worn, it's a trail that we need to run down. Suffering, and this is a fact that I believe Scripture is going to clearly teach us, suffering helps us understand the need for fellow believers. Suffering helps us understand the need for fellow believers. In Galatians 6, 2, it says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. It's pretty huge. So the law of Christ is fulfilled when we bear one another's burdens. It's working backwards. John MacArthur on this verse said, When someone staggers, we help steady the load. If he is straining, we help bear the burden. If he stumbles, We lift him up. Helping fellow believers carry the weight of their worldly troubles is one of the chief practical duties that ought to consume every Christian. Bearing others' burdens is the practical duty that ought to consume every Christian. Is that the practical duty that consumes each one of you? So now I'm going to cut to the chase rather quickly here in the flock, and we're going to have a little heart-to-heart conversation. If we really truly believe that the God's Word says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, and if we want to fulfill the law of Christ, we need to bear one another's burdens, we need to talk about how this is done. So I have three things in your notes there. In order to bear one another's burdens, we must be willing to share what that burden is but here's what can happen a burden comes into your life and so the pride of I can handle this I don't need anyone so we visually sometimes go off into the corner and we go I've got this I don't need anybody else's help and you sing out loud the song no one knows the trouble I've seen No one knows my sorrow when you sit there in self pity, not bringing the burden before any other fellow believers or friends. I've got this. As if it's a badge of courage to suffer alone. Second, not must we be willing to share, you must be willing to listen. Notice I said listen, we're not responding. So when that person finally decides to get out of the corner of the church and come over, the Bible tells us we need to listen. We need to weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn. Our response is to listen. It's not to say, oh, halfway through, stop. Let me tell you what you're doing wrong. It's to listen. That's why God has given us two ears and one mouth to listen to the burdens of others. This is not a gathering together where we all share our problems and we all nod our heads and say, boy, how horrible everything is. And then we walk away to our horrible situations just to come back to share again the next day about how horrible everything is. And if you were only married to the spouse I was married to, or if you only knew the pain and sorrow, what it is to have genetic disorders in your own family, and I mean, we could just keep the list going on and on and on, right? But the third point is we must be willing to take it to the Lord together. Lord, teach us what we need to know here. So we share, we listen, and then we take it to the Lord together. We don't sit around and gossip. We don't sit around and talk about how this or that should be different. We take it to the Lord in prayer. That's how suffering is is buried together in the local body. But here's what Satan likes to trip us up with. If I share that I have struggles, somehow that admits that I am weak. Did Paul just not say, when I am weak, there he is strong? All right? Well, no one's going to listen. Listen. Again, this is where we need to all understand that our principal duty ought to be that consume every Christian is coming together to encourage and spur one another on. And then we must be willing to take it to the Lord together in prayer. These are not easy. What I just kind of described was a perfect world, but sin will be riddled with it. But what do we not do? We do not run from it. We say this is what God has called us to do as a church body, and so we work it. Number three, suffering, the end result, is to produce praise. Turn with me to 1 Peter. Now, since we went through 1 Peter, you all should know this passage by heart anyway, so I'll just refer to you back to the sermon on this topic, but no, we'll remind ourselves again. 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 6 and 7, what Peter tells us here. So if we looked at Paul and his understanding, and now we're going to look at the Apostle Peter. And Apostle Peter, again, remember he's writing this to a group of people that are seeing persecution and more is on the rise. And in 1 Peter 1 6 and 7, here's what he says In this you rejoice, though now for a little while. If necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. Hold on a minute here. What did Peter just say? Rejoice that you are having various trials. He does not say the reason various trials were coming is because you're a bunch of sinners. Nor did he say, hey, make sure these various trials become your identity. No, what does he say? He says here in verse 6, If you've been grieved by various trials so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So here's what happens. Suffering comes. Notice what Peter says, it comes in various forms and in various ways. Your suffering is not to be compared with somebody else's suffering, nor is their suffering to be compared with yours. You are not to sit here and say, oh, they know more suffering, you know very little suffering. That is not our job. Our job is to say, as suffering comes into this world, we point people to Christ, because what is God doing? He's creating in us these things which He has for us. He says, suffering will come, and notice he even says, it will be for a little while. Again, that eternal perspective. You're here on earth for a little while, and when the suffering comes into your life, even it might be your whole life, in, in, compared to eternity, it's called a little while. Remember, James tells us, your life is but a vapor. Here for a moment and gone. Now, notice what it says, the trials come in through the testing, and these trials are to test the genuineness of our faith. Because remember, suffering produces hope. These trials come in to refine us and to show our genuineness of our faith. Because trials come in and it exposes to you where you are looking. I'll be honest, one of the reasons why we have so much turmoil amongst ourselves is because we're looking to relationships to be the answer instead of our relationship with God. And so when earthly relationships fall apart, we get angry, we get frustrated. Instead, we need to look to Christ and Christ alone where our hope is found. But these trials, when they come in, the text goes on to say, will be like a furnace. Notice it says, though tested by fire, may be resound to result in the praise and glory of God. The testing will be like the furnace of heat that melts metals to remove impurities. Suffering is like that heat that bubbles up to the surface. And as what happens when the heat is on a metal, the, the impurities bubble up and it all of a sudden are there to be seen. As we said before, that suffering shakes the soul. And as it shakes the soul, it reveals our self-reliance. So God uses suffering to refine us. Remember that again. God uses suffering to refine us. And as that suffering is refining us, our response, as the verse goes on to say, will result in praise, glory, and honor. That result results in praise, glory, and honor. In the song, It Is Well With My Soul, the poet goes on to say, When peace like a river attendeth my way, When sorrows like sea billows roll, Whatever my lot, thou hast taught me to say. Because at times the mind is going to say, This is what we need to say here. Even though the heart may say, This is burdensome, this is horrible, thou hast taught me to say, It is well, it is well with my soul. And so we look and ask ourselves, What did we learn today? What are the things that we need to understand? And I really believe it is, we wrap it up with this. Suffering is the furnace that God uses to draw us away from self. Suffering is the furnace that God uses to draw us away from self and utter reliance on Him and Him alone. It's a removing ourselves away from our reliance on self towards a reliance on Him. It is a throwing yourself at Him and says, I can't do this. Because sadly, when most of the time when suffering comes into our lives, we try to either numb it by some type of thing, the world says numb it, but after that numbing is over, what happens? The suffering is still there. We either try to numb it with drugs, we try to drink it away, but at the end of the day, it's still there. And all you feel is sick. Because our bodies are not meant to drown it away. Our our bodies are meant because we are created in the image of God is to run to Him and Him alone to find that peace. Suffering is literally what drives us to Christ and Christ alone. A guy named Frederick W. H. Meyer said this: "Yea, through life, death, through sorrow, and through sin, he shall suffice." Speaking of God, for he has suffered. Christ is the end. For Christ was the beginning Christ the beginning for the end is Christ all of the things that God placed into our lives with suffering is to cause us to rely on him and him alone. Christ when he came down to earth suffered and he bled and died he was literally a man of sorrows acquainted with grief and as followers of God that is what God is going to use to continue to strip us away from self reliance on him And him alone it's interesting we're gonna end with a song by faith is how we are to live and as we sing the song by faith we have to ask ourselves over and over and over again I know I'm saying these words but has these words really sunk to my heart so when the ways of this world beat against us in moments of suffering we can literally say God it is good because you are good and you are on the throne you are the ruler sustainer of all things and I trust you because we are going to see Individual in the Bible, after an individual of the Bible struggle with suffering and evil, and then we will see what we're longing for. That center candle, of what that means is Christ came to die and bring an end to it all, and we long for that day. Let's pray, holy Father, give us wisdom, give us clarity how we are to live. Thank you. That suffering is not pointless. Thank you that suffering has a point, and it's the point is to you, away from self, to relying on you and you alone. Give us the strength we need each day to see that in our weakness is where you are strong. We ask these things in your son's name we pray. Amen. Amen.